Welcome to the Chemistry Factor Podcast, dedicated to help you consciously inspire your actions in business, no matter what circumstances you're facing, transforming your stress into empowering success. I'm Coach Barney, founder of The Chemistry Factor. For over 25 years, I've worked with hundreds of successful business leaders who have all experienced how poor working relationships and unexpected business setbacks cause the anxiety and stress that weakens your productivity, innovation, and leadership skills. You do not choose to be stressed. It is a reaction, not a decision, that drains your energy, making work hard and less fulfilling. Together, we will discover how to empower your attitude to achieve the greater success and satisfaction you've always wanted in your business, career, and life. Storytelling has been the through line for today's guest, Michelle Stevenson. She began her career in film development at Sony-based and Warner Brothers-based production companies. She then transitioned to public relations because she loves creating stories that inspire a brand's mission and identity. Her gift for building a brand's essence brought her to international communications firms in leadership roles at Fleischmann Hillard, Burson Marsteller, and the boutique public relations firm of HL as their EVP. She then followed her heart to make a difference in the world, becoming the COO, CMO of The Giving Keys, a social impact jewelry and accessories brand whose mission is to end homelessness through employment. Michelle is now the executive director of the Millican Institute, a non-for-profit think tank that strives to improve lives around the world by advancing innovative financial and healthcare solutions that support the pursuit of a meaningful life. And for me, when I think of meaningful life, it reminds me of my favorite movie, A Wonderful Life. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Michelle. It is an honor to have you as my guest. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, good. Good. Stories well told resonate values that enroll participation in a brand, and you love to tell stories. When did you discover your passion to build brand recognition? Well, um, it's such a such a great question to start with because I think that that's really kind of the the through light of my career. You know, I was a theater major in college, and I moved to LA and started in the film industry as a development assistant. And what I realized is that when you're putting together a film, you're trying to think about how to make that film resonant to the largest audience segment possible. So you're looking at it and you're saying, you know, do we have a strong female character? Do the Characters need kids. Um, is there action? Do we want to bring in the grandparents? You know, kind of like all of the, the questions that you put that lens to just to make sure that you're targeting, not with every film, of course, there's always exceptions, but in general, you know, you want to be making money. Are you targeting the widest audience possible? And so I saw that, you know, you see a film on the screen and you don't necessarily realize like, that they were kind of trying to tick these boxes before it went into production. 
And I realized that, you know, a film is a product like anything else, like any, any product in our lives that we engage with. And my PR career was, um, and it is primarily centered in the consumer landscape. And so it was really taking those learnings that were applied to film and thinking about how you would apply them to any brand. Um, how do you take any product and say, how do I make this resonant and relevant to um, as many customers as possible? And so you start thinking about that product and the stories that you want to tell on its behalf through the lens of the different audiences that you want to reach. And that's what I kind of found compelling. I mean, it's oftentimes an inanimate object, but that's kind of the beauty of the creative challenge, I suppose. That's beautiful. I I didn't know you were a theater major. I was. I was. I was. You were a theater major. So there was a part of you who just likes to perform. Yes. You know, I think it's interesting being a theater major. I went to Northwestern, which is not a conservatory. So you have to have really a well-rounded education. Um, So firstly, it made sure that I had, you know, a well-rounded skill set that I was going to be able to take to whatever career I ultimately was in pursuit of. But I think, you know, what I learned from studying theater in terms of listening to the other person, making sure you're engaged in conversation, understanding what they're saying before you reply, uh, things like that that actually have tremendous, are, are tremendously applicable to, I think, anyone um, in any circumstance that kind of went beyond that. You know, for me, I was very passionate about theater when I was in school, but as I looked to graduation, I had loans. I wasn't interested in waitressing. You know, I was trying to figure out like, what is a a relevant step for me? And that's where it ended up being film development, which took again, a lot of what I had learned um, and just pointed it in a slightly different direction. So you were a really good listener. And when it comes to listening, you have a good instinct as to what message is best to get across to your customers and to the people you want to inspire. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because I think there's so many cues that come through when you're listening to someone, when you can tell where their voice is coming from. Um, Are they very focused and direct and really being thoughtful about what they're saying? You can tell, particularly in today's world, when we're on Zoom or on the phone or things like that, when someone's talking to you, you can tell that they're doing something else. You know, you can tell they're responding to an email or they're like, you know, have you on mute and like shooing their kids away or things like that. Um, There's a way that the voice changes that you can tell when someone is completely engaged in what you're saying and when someone is doing something else. And so, you know, okay, am I capturing them or not? You know, when I when I went into PR and then, you know, pitching is a big part of that, which certainly played extensively into my theater background and memorizing my section for the pitch and things like that, but also being able to look for feedback from the, the, you know, kind of quote unquote audience, the people you're pitching to, you know, are they leaning forward or are they leaning back? Do they seem engaged in what you're saying? You know, like when you, um, are you able to make eye contact with them? You know, all of those sorts you're of things. That I think all your senses. Yeah, you're, you're really, absolutely. And I guess you would say you have a strong sixth sense which is a combination of all of them. Yeah, I I think you just learned to develop that, absolutely. That's cool, I love it. Name a peak moment in your career that inspires confidence in you. That's That's a tough one. I have to say, I 
feel like it might be right now. It might be the the work I'm doing every day because the you know the Milken Institute's a nonprofit think tank. We're focused in the areas of finance and healthcare, and a lot of the work that we do, a lot of the reporting that we put out, is very heady. Yeah. You know, it's meant to influence policy. Um, it's meant to be provide a roadmap for large corporations to consider. And for so, me, the opportunity. So sorry. give me a moment. Give me a moment. Because well, you're so talking me, generalized. The, about, the, I love being our, here. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get that moment like when you were on stage and you nailed your lines and people applauded and asked for, you know, a curtain call or, or something that like you remember in your mind that was like, wow, that just exuded confidence in me. Yeah, well, it's it's taking the work that we're doing and making it kind of something that anyone can can understand how it applies to their life. So very recently, it was a pitch around the work we do in democratizing access to capital and making sure that people kind of understand the financial tools that they have access to was a very successful pitch around fintech where Again, a lot of the work that we had been doing would be focused on asset managers or VCs or kind of like where the wealth is is um, concentrated. And to take that into a, a pitch around the idea of how the development of financial tools is now democratizing access to capital in a way that people didn't have before suddenly wasn't just this light bulb moment for me but was a tool that we were able to put in the hands of the of the general consumer to understand how this could benefit them in a really meaningful way, like it, it, a, a way that directly impacts wealth creation and, and generational wealth by understanding the financial barriers that might be in place for you. And I just found that to be, you know, incredibly satisfying to take something that I think people don't necessarily realize that they have a stake in and to kind of connect it to them in a personal way. What are you feeling when you tell me this? I mean, you know, I'm looking for the smile. I'm listening for like the inspiration within you because you really make it, you you made a big difference there. Well, I think that's what's kind of remarkable about it is I think that it's it's incumbent upon communications professionals and something I try to, to drill into my team is to speak to people the way that they speak to each other. And if we can use words and phrases that I'm not talking about dumbing it down, but I'm talking about, you know, kind of like bringing it in a way that personalizes it, that connects it to what people are are struggling against or, or the questions that they have. You know, PR professionals still really rely on media as, as the gatekeepers, right? You're not, you're, I mean, you can do blog posts and things like that, social media posts kind of going direct to consumer um, but when you have to go through media, you've got that double step, which is you've got to connect with the reporter, but in that exact same moment, you've got to make them understand how this is relevant to their audience. And so you've you've got to drive that truck through without stopping so that the minute that, you know, preview pane comes up in their email, they want to learn more. And so when you're able to successfully do that on a topic that can be somewhat complicated or can be viewed as, as, you know, not something that necessarily everyone is going to care about. That to me is, is hugely fulfilling, you know, just to say you broke through, you took this complicated topic and you made it not only resonant to the end consumer, but you, you got through those media gatekeepers too. 
how's your heart feeling? How is your shoulders? You know, saying all of this, you know, I'm trying to get a sense of, you know, how it's affecting you physically. It's interesting. When I was at the Giving Keys, which you referenced um, at the beginning, uh, it's a social impact jewelry company based here in LA focused on ending homelessness through employment. And it's very interesting model. It's been around about 17 years and it's a for-profit company here in LA paying LA wages. Uh, And about half of the, half of the team, when I was there, about 25 people were individuals who'd recently experienced homelessness. And it's a difficult model. You know, it's a difficult model to run a business like that in, you know, a city like this. And the founder really believed someone's got to do it. Even if it's tough, doesn't mean that, you know, you don't do it. You don't, you, you know, you, you do the hard work and it was really hard. And what that gave me the opportunity to do was really at the end of the day, we were impacting our employees, right? Mm -hmm. People buy the product. And we're able to keep the team employed and, you know, all of that, which was amazing. I mean, I had never worked in an environment like that before, right? Like literally shoulder to shoulder with the actual employees that were being, that that would benefit by the company doing well, right? It wasn't a, you know, six degrees kind of thing. We're writing a check, we're sending it off to someone, you know, it's my coworkers that I'm engaging with on a daily basis. That was a profound experience for me. And I thought when I left there, that's the type of thing I want to figure out how I can bring to bear what I do in that meaningful way. And so the difference coming to Milken is there's just so much more storytelling opportunity. The impact isn't, I mean, quite honestly, it's not on the employees here that I'm having. I mean, sure, I like think I'm a great mentor and, you know, helping everyone to pursue their their professional passions and grow. But it's to take the work and apply that to more people to show them how this impacts their lives. And so, you know, to me, um, that's incredibly fulfilling. It feels if you're on the theater that right now you could jump up in the air. That's how, you know, I, I get that sense, the way you're talking with the passion that you're speaking. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, that that's a physical being. So now I'm going to get to the next step. Uh, tell us about a difficult challenge in your career and how you overcame it. Okay, that's a good one. Um, you know what? I'm going to actually say it's the, the same one that we just started talking about right now, which was the giving keys. One of the things that, you know, was it was so life-changing for me in so many ways to work in an environment like that, um, but it's really difficult. And it's not just difficult because it's difficult for so many reasons. It's difficult because when you have a, a business like that is truly built on the back of daily sales, there are daily sales targets. So when you miss a day or a few days or a week of sales goals, this isn't like in the abstract that people are going to be affected by this if the business doesn't turn around. And it's in a um, short period of time. You're not talking about months and years. You're talking about. Sure. But I mean, like to, to some degree you are, but the idea being, you know, you're looking at the, at your employee population, which in many cases has just recently become rehoused you know, or things like that. And it's, it's different. You're, it just, it provides a different lens that you look through things at, you know, and then. How did you overcome it? I mean, you know, um, it's difficult. I don't know that I did. I mean, I think that like, 
I don't know that you ever do because it's just a different consideration set it, when, when that's your employee population. You know, I mean, it's challenging. It's also challenging because when you think of like from an HR perspective, what is expected of, you know, most companies, you know, in terms of the, the support that they're providing to employees or things like that, it's very different when you have a missional employee population. Yeah. Um, their needs are very, very different. You know, we had people coming to us that had never had a bank account before. And we brought in like one of the banks, I think it was Bank of America, um, to, to talk to everyone about how to open a checking account and why you should have a checking account. Um, we had people who didn't have identification, who needed to know how to, how to get a an ID card, you know, and things like that. It's a completely different. You were making um, a huge difference in people's lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it was so rewarding, but it's also incredibly difficult because you realize the role that you're filling in those lives. And you realize if you are not doing your job, if you're not running a successful company, the reverberations of that are so much greater than I think it oftentimes we think about, you know, you never want to have to like let people go or reduce your workforce or things like that, but you have a different sort of concept, whether it's true or not of what people's life circumstances are. If somebody's out of work and they don't even have a a checking account, it's going to be hard for them to find another job. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So, so that was, that, that was was hard. Yeah. Yeah. In your wheel of life work balance, what would you like to achieve in the next three months that has been challenging? Hmm. Well, um, I'm a single parent of a 12 year old daughter. And oh my um, goodness, you've got your hands full. <laughs> I do. I do. She's wonderful. But, you know, of I course. think any but she's parent- a teenager. Yes. Uh, uh, yes, she is. Even though she's on the cusp, she's yeah, like she's, fully embraced that life. Yeah. Um, so we're, I think, four weeks from the end of the school year. And so my focus is on making sure that she has a good summer. And this is the first year that she has neither had an all day, all summer camp or a nanny that could pick her up from a sort of shortened summer camp. So uh-huh. We're trying something new this year. She's doing a surf camp for most of the summer, but it's not full day. And she has to, they have a bus that picks up and drops off, but not at the house. So she has to walk home. So we're both kind of giving this a try (laughs) this summer, you know, to see how well this works, how much of the, she's very responsible, but how much of the responsibility she can take on, how- um, Sounds like her mother. I mean, it sounds, you know- (laughs) Sounds she's she's grown up a lot, uh, and I'm sure. Absolutely. Fine, but what I normally say, if there's that concern or even in the back of your mind, which parents always have, my daughter's in Florida right now, and I'm like, I hope she's okay. She right. and she's in her 20s. <laughs> so saying that, when you're thinking of like that peak moment that you've been accomplishing, okay, with your current position. Bring that to this situation and it'll be a lot more powerful. You'll come up with the answers much easier. It won't be a worry thing. It'll be an easy thing when mm, you're inspiring that's good yourself. Yeah. Well, that's what I do. It's all about value empowerment. Yes. And, and being able to choose who we want to be no matter what the circumstances we're in. 
And what's the best way to be able to empower ourselves is to remember stories in our lives that specifically identify values that inspired us. Right. And right. That's, that's kind of what that this first part of the conversation is about, is you yeah. have the ability to inspire yourself, happiness, confidence, strategic thinking. There are moments in your life when you were totally in control of that and it was empowering for you. And when you embrace that moment, it changes the way the circumstance looks. I think that's very true. I think that's very true. And that's something that, you know, strangely, the work I'm doing now has the opportunity to impact so many more lives than the work I did before. But the work I did before was so much more emotionally draining. Um, You know, I, I, I carried so much of that with me day in and day out. You are looking at the finish line. If yes. it's draining, you're looking at the finish line. It's who you're being in the moment that makes nothing draining. When you're empowering a value, you will never be drained. <laughs> you, you will be inspired at all times. It takes practice. It's, it's like learning karate. You know, you start off with a white belt. You don't get your black belt the next day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. You know, it, it, it's something that, you know, I would say just remember peak moments in your life to the point where when a circumstance happens, instead of allowing the circumstances to dictate who you are, choose who you want to be from that circumstance that you want to inspire you. Mm. It takes practice. But yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I think you, I think you read my book. So there's, I did. Yeah. I know you did. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, in certain circumstances, you know, you can sort of make that push, I think, a little bit easier than others. But I, I certainly agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a push that it's not empowering it, when, mm-hmm. when it's when it's not a push. It becomes easy and you'll get more done in less time. That's true. Yes, I agree with that. So from film development to public relations powerhouses. You now find yourself making a difference in the world for those less able to help themselves. As Robert Frost wrote, you have chosen the road less traveled, at least as far as I can see, okay, Uh, from where you started to where you are now. It's not easy to make such a career transition. And there are many who, in the great resignation, are contemplating it. How has it changed your life? Well, you know, interestingly enough, I will say I don't think I did make a pivot. I actually tried to consciously make a pivot when I left the Giving Keys. Um, I left the I left the Giving Keys December thirty first, two thousand nineteen, thinking twenty twenty and this amazing year, and I was going to take everything I had done at a social impact company and look to find an impact focused role that I thought what the TGK model of a for-profit business that, you know, basically was focused on a double bottom line was where I wanted to be. And it's something that, you know, the business roundtable had talked about. Companies should do that, but there'd never really been a push. And most companies had CSR or it was in the background. You know, it was like a check presentation or a page in an annual report or ribbon cutting, but it wasn't part of what they did. And so I wanted to find a role where I could go to a company where I could help them develop their approach to impact, where they would figure out what they could do, 
that was going to be focused more than just, you know, straight profitability. Yes. From the giving Um, keys, I can see that. But I'm thinking more in terms of from public relations, working for Burson Marsteller, working for HL, you shifted to the giving keys. That is the transformation that I, I find fascinating. And I think a lot of my listeners are going to be finding fascinating too, because, you know, they're working in a, just imagine they're working in a big firm and They've been doing it and it's not fun. It's not easy. It can be stressful. And they're thinking to themselves, gee, you know what I'd really like to do is open a bakery. Or, or, or right. yeah. Right. So you did that. I mean, you've done that. Yeah, kind of I mean, I, I, I did. And I think, you know, it's, it's about being open to possibility and, you know, right place, right time. The founder of TGK and I had a mutual um, friend in common who, uh, or a mutual friend who put us uh, in in touch with each other when she was looking for someone. Her vision for what the company needed was not me, and it you know kind of evolved. I had had uh, a lot of operational experience at Fleischmann Burson NHL because in all of those cases, I was either the co lead or the lead of the office. So I had that PL responsibility. I was, you know, handling or, you know, proxy for a lot of the HR functions, the hiring, but even down to like, you know, are we ordering paper towels and things like that? So to go into that COO role wasn't completely different from what I'd been doing from an operations standpoint on the agency side. And then the CMO, you know, was really an extension of what I'd been doing at communications all along because TGK was, you know, their approach to marketing was really PR and marketing adjacent. So it was really just by kind of opening myself up to that opportunity and wanting to, quite frankly, take a break from agency life. Yeah, you're, um, you you made that transition from agency life. And that's... Yes. You know, that isn't always easy for people because there's a safety valve there for for many who are like, well, this is what I know. This is what they're going to pay me for. And you made the shift. I did. I did. And And like I said, I think that the, you know, what it opened my eyes to in terms of, you know, what it what a business could and and potentially should be about you know, was really illuminating. At the end of the day, quite honestly, I didn't really like the COO part of the role. Okay. Especially in a business like that, because it's a very difficult model to be profitable for so many reasons. Well, you, take, um, and you, you, you took the steps and you continue to evolve. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I left TGK for everything I learned there, it was the type of company and the type of impact that I wanted to have moving forward. With COVID, it was a, a, a great realignment for so many businesses and, you know, very much pushed by, by customers who suddenly, you know, we realized like this was a healthcare crisis that then quickly became an education crisis and an employment crisis. And then, you know, we saw against a backdrop of racial inequity and a climate on fire and all of these things we realized are are very interconnected. And I think customers were saying, we're going to direct our share of wallet to companies that are doing more. And so that idea of the double bottom line that had kind of been talked about is like, yeah, businesses are more profitable when they focus on more than just profits, um, never really took root until that point. And so for me, what I found is that the that role that I thought I could kind of go in and create somewhere now was incredibly in demand. And 
there were people that were much more qualified than I was to be able to do it. People who had, who had been on the nonprofit side for decades, you know, not didn't just have like a year like I did and things like that. And so, you know, I had to take a step back and think everything I thought that TGK was kind of pushing me toward in terms of a, a career pivot and, you know, really deepening my desire and commitment to work in the impact space didn't happen the way that I had kind of hoped and thought it would. And so for me, then it was kind of stepping back and assessing where is my skill set a good match for something where I still think I can have an an impact, if you will, um, but not necessarily in that sort of pivot to social impact that I thought I would have. And I really found that kind of perfect marriage here um, with Milken where the work that I do is promoting the work that the Institute and the seven centers do, which I do think is all about helping people um, on that path to achieving a meaningful life. And so um, it's taking the strong skills that I've developed over my career, but putting them in an environment where I think I can contribute more than just what I was doing before on a deeper level. Transitioning. What I'm hearing in this conversation, networking, mm-hmm. uh, being have a mind of flexibility. There, there are ways you're used to doing things. Being able to to be to be flexible to change your ways. Just tell me if you think that's fair or not. Oh, I think it's absolutely fair. I mean, I think I probably had to like get get beaten up enough before I was accepted that flexibility. You know, I don't think that it was just, I wasn't one of those, um, what are those things outside of the car dealerships, you know, that are like flailing around (laughs) in the wind? Um, You know, it wasn't that complete kind of flexibility to wherever the wind was blowing. You know, I mean, I did have an idea of what I wanted to do and and a pivot I wanted to take. And so I did kind of commit myself to that. Sure. Um, but also I wasn't going to be, you know, obstinate about it. If the signs that I was getting was this isn't exactly right. This, you know, that this is not where I was getting traction. This is not where I was feeling as sure-footed. Then yes, I was going to be flexible and listen to those signs after, after a little while there to say, you know, what is. Being conscious of what's what happening, want. being yeah. confident and understanding how you're feeling in the moment so that you know whether it's working for you or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you are a now I don't want to say this incorrectly, but you you joined the uh chief which yes. you know is a private membership network focused on connecting and supporting women executive leaders leaders. You were one of the first to sign up. Is that a fair statement? Uh once they uh they started in New York, so once they decided to expand, yes. I was one of the founding members for Los Angeles, which I think was their second city. Aha. Okay. How did this organization get started? Uh, Two women, um, Carolyn Childers and Lindsay Kaplan in New York, who found that there was a kind of gap in the marketplace for an organization that was going to bring together female leaders, but more than just networking also with a lot of webinars and, you know, kind of trainings and things like that. So you had the ability um, not just to meet other amazing women, but also to kind of deepen skill sets or, you know, learn in in particular areas. Uh, You know, there was some great content about 
managing remote workforces um, as the pandemic was unfolding? You know, which communications channels do you use in which circumstances? Um, a lot of excellent speakers on DEI as that's become um, something that we all know need to know how to speak to and, and bring positively forward within our workspaces. I know a um, lot so of that's successful been women. A lot of successful women are members, especially yes. in the agency world. I mean, I yeah, yeah. I think that's the I think that's the the prerequisite. So when I uh, joined, I think they'd been in New York for a year. Then they came to LA um, about a year and a half ago, probably coming up on two years now. Expanded it right around that time. I think also to Chicago, shortly thereafter to Washington D.C. in the Bay Area. And then, um, and now it's kind of a borderless organization. They were they were going market by market, but now it's. Uh, I think they found that the community that they've been able to build online um, has been incredibly strong, and so women from anywhere can apply for membership. I think that's great, and I'm yeah. going to tell my I'm going to tell my daughter about it because I think she'd be a good member. <laughs> oh, you absolutely should. I I mean, that's honestly actually how I got this job when I saw the. That's- um, That's yes, networking. It makes yeah, a huge yeah, difference. Yeah. I, I saw the posting for the the role here at Milken. I checked LinkedIn. I didn't know anyone, um, and I checked Chief, and there was another executive director who is a member of Chief, and I reached out to her, and that's how it happened. I think that's great. Yeah, it varies. Unfortunately, there's there's somebody out there that's told me that men and women are different when it comes to taking a position. Women, if they have 90% of what the job has, but they're missing 10%, tend to be, oh, I don't know if I should apply. Where men, if they yes. have 50% or less, oh yeah, I'm going to go for it. I think women, it's time. It's time. No, it's very true. Listen, there's a, a ton of research that supports that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that time. women feel they have to tick every box. When you have the support of others, uh, it makes it easier for you to feel confident within yourself. Yes, it does. Cool. hundred percent. Yeah. What words of wisdom would you like to share to help listeners discover and reach their calling in career and life? Really, I think it's about being open and to never stop learning. You never know where something that you do or some opportunity that you say yes to is going to open up a new path to you. I know that there was a, a point in my career not super long ago where I had gone to to my boss and asked for a budget for a professional development opportunity. And he said to me, we don't pay you to learn. We pay you to know. And it crushed me. And I said, Oh man, there's no empathy. That's what I love about women. There's so much empathy for women. For years afterward, I was afraid to look like I didn't know the answer to something. Oh. And it certainly, certainly when I was at that company, but even for a little while after I left, where I felt like that just for some reason, right? You just, you never know the thing that you're going to hear that's going to stick with you. And that was one of the, those things that I heard that stuck with me. And I always felt like I couldn't ask questions. I couldn't not pretend to be the smartest person in the room. Speak and up. <laughs> yeah. I, listen, it was, it's, it was so oh, difficult. Is, and when I finally got to the point where I realized if I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to have an open mind and I'm willing to continue to try to grow as a professional, 
then there's nothing wrong with not knowing everything, especially because there's a lot that I do know. And, you know, like, so I, I'm still bringing something else to the table. And so, you know, for me, it was really getting to that point where I could be confident in what I do know so that I could confidently say when there's something that I don't know. I've seen um, a lot because of I advertising. Think, I'm sorry. Yeah, I've seen a yeah. lot of advertising agencies that thought they knew, and they, they, but they never changed. And yeah. they're, no, they're no longer around. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. Too many of yeah. them. Yeah. So, no, I, I, and I think that that's it. If, is if people know that you are someone who, who wants to always learn, then it's not a mark against you if you don't know something. And so that's really, I think what I've realized in my life is you just don't know where inspiration is going to come from. Hopefully you should have an open mind to be find inspiration every day from things around you. But quite honestly, to, to just have an open mind about where, where inspiration can come from, where your next opportunity can come from. And if you are starting to feel interest in a particular area, then spend some time investigating it, learning about it, um, you know, trying to figure out where you can bring your talents to bear in that particular area. And I think that's the way that I will think about my life moving forward. I think that's wonderful. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I wish you the best and all, all, the, all the great stories to come. Uh, Thank you. It's such a pleasure to chat with you. I'm, I'm so happy you asked me. Thank you so much. You have a great one. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and recommend The Chemistry Factor to your friends. If you would like to connect with me on social media, reach out to Barney Feinberg on LinkedIn. To connect with me directly, email barney at thechemistryfactor.com. Until next time, empower your business success every day.